Chapter 8 The Mustang Besieged The first time I saw mustangs in the wild, it was as if I had come home. There they were on a hillside near Reno, grazing, making their way down. They were a small band of mares and foals that had not yet shed their winter coats, and in every way they were perfect. A stallion stood nearby and watched. I walked through some brush to greet them. Surely they would be excited to see me, I thought. After all, I'm here to tell their story. And can't they tell that I like them? I flattened my hand and extended it, palm up, a gesture that domestic horses take as a sign of friendship, especially when the hand has an apple or a carrot. But the Mustangs ran away, and I was crushed. The feeling only added to my sadness. It was just a few months after members of their herd had been gunned down in the massacre that I had read about in a desert bar. From the moment I saw the story, I started to make inquiries. Soon I began traveling to Nevada to find out what happened. Over time, I got to know a wide range of people. I talked to the first people to arrive on the scene and the detectives who were horrified as, day after day, the body count got higher. I talked to people who were dismayed that Mustangs were under siege and to those who wanted them gone. But most important, I began visiting the Virginia Range, where the Mustangs are living and dying. I grew up around racehorses and show horses, and later, when I moved to the West, logged a lot of time exploring the desert on horseback. But the only place I had seen Mustangs was on television or in movies. That's not how you approach them, my guide said when the Mustangs ran away. I was accustomed to being around domestic horses, and it was difficult to realize these horses were actually wild. A few days later, I returned and tried it again. This time, the horses were crossing a gully deep in the range. My guide stopped the truck and we got out. She demonstrated a kind of sideways walk in which you move toward the horses on a diagonal so they can see you fully and not feel threatened. Don't stare at them, she said. I followed the instruction and tried to erase myself, edging quietly into their territory. For a while, they didn't move. I could see their ears twitch and hear them breathe. And in the sky, a hawk rode a thermal. The moment was primal and basic, and since then I had visited them many times. I have thought about the Mustang massacres for years. To this day, I try to understand why someone would kill them. I have read thousands of pages of trial testimony and forensic reports and lists of what shells were found where and who said what to whom in the days before and after the crime. I have even met men who carry automatic weapons and go into the desert to kill things. Once, one of them asked me for a date. I declined, explaining that I wouldn't be able to listen to his stories. That's okay, he said. I won't tell you. In one of his novels, 
Tim O'Brien wrote that people go to war out of love, not patriotism. As they go about the business of destruction, they acquire nicknames that they savor and are later ashamed of, and they become intimate in the performance of certain acts and the knowledge that they did it and in the silence or acclaim that follows. They are the only ones who know how and why an incident occurred, and then sometimes they don't. Their pathologies sync up with greater forces, and in the wide open spaces, things happen.